Amen. Again, we are thankful for your presence this morning. Thankful to the God of heaven for allowing us to be here to gather to worship in spirit and in truth. We're thankful for the brethren who have helped with services thus far. We are always mindful of that. The last Sunday, I believe, of this year, if I'm if I'm correct. And yep, the last Sunday of this year. And there's been so much that has happened this year. And we have a lot to be thankful for. We have those who were sick who may be made whole. We have those who have gone through multiple things and even ourselves living through this pandemic that continues to evolve and continues to change. But the one constant thing that we always have and that we cannot afford to give up is that God continues to still be in control. And it's with this lesson today that I want to encourage you and not only you all, but myself as well, especially when those things form against us and seem to have the better number on us, God is still in control. And God will not change what he has done. He'll continue to be there for his children. When you read the third psalm, the third psalm is a very interesting psalm. It's a very short psalm, only eight verses, but eight verses that are packed with so much information about God and what God does for his people. And not only what he can do, what he has does, but what he has done, but what also he can do. We have to never let go of God's hand. It is through him that we have our every being, our moving, everything that we do, the thoughts that go on, it is all because of God. But I want you to look at the man David. King David was a man who had endured so much. He was a man who had many friends, but you know, he also had many enemies and he also had many things that he brought upon himself. But again, he was one who was willing to take those responsibilities upon himself and say when he fell short, that it was his fault. We've been discussing accountability, and this is the last sermon I want to end with on accountability, but looking at it from God's standpoint of what God does and how God continues to remain accountable for us and how he has always said he will not leave us nor forsake him, forsake us, I'm sorry, but it's us who do the leaving. When you read 2 Samuel chapter 13, right after David has just lost his son, after he has taken Bathsheba and had Uriah murdered. And this is the downfall of David for this moment. Chapters 13 through 15 depict the fact that he has a son named Absalom. Absalom was one who the Bible describes as very beautiful from his head to his toes. He was one who did much, 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 much things that was contrary to what his father would have wanted him to do. We see when Absalom kills his brother because his brother defiled his sister. And then we see that same Absalom who, as he flees from his father's presence and goes to be somewhere else. And when he comes back, he decides that he's going to take his father's throne and he rallies the people up. The people who once hollered, David killed his ten thousands while Saul killed his thousands. Now you have those same people now are saying, I'm going to follow Absalom because he has given the great advice. Because of what Absalom has done, Absalom sat at the gate and every time someone came up and he said, well, you know what? If I was king, this is what I would do for your situation. Well, this is what I would do to change those things. And the people turn against David and David finds himself in a peculiar position because the man who was once on top is now back to running for his life again. And mind you, David is not a young man anymore as he was when he was running from King Saul. 
So once you get a little bit older, it's a little bit harder to run and hide and hide in caves and do all those things like you used to. The enemies are now pressing in upon David. But you know what? David never let go of God's hand because he knew what God was capable of doing. So it is the fact that as Brother Mayberry read Psalm, the third division of Psalm in verse number one, he says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Salah. Notice the problem that David had. He had a problem that people were arising up against him. There were multiple people who were coming to do him harm. There were people who wanted to take of his throne. Even his own son wanted his blood. You know, it doesn't get any worse than that. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that your own child whom you have fathered, whom you have provided advice for, whom you have tried your best to do things for. And for that child to get up to a certain age to say, well, I have no respect for you and I want your life. This throne is mine. And not only that of himself, but he convinces the people to go with him also. You know, having enemies is is something that's a scary thing, especially when you don't know who is out to get you, especially when you don't know who you can trust. But I want you to see what he says. David knew who he can trust. In verse number two, he says, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Notice they went against God by making that statement. They look upon David and David, who's knowing who God is, knows that God will continue to provide. So it is me saying this morning as we look at our first point, whenever you have those adversaries, whenever those who are against you try to rise up, whenever those who continue to talk bad upon your name and do you dirty, who despitefully use you, you still got to love them, but know that God is going to be there. If you try to do things your own way, guess what? You're going to mess things up. It's the reason why that the eye for an eye is not what Jesus wanted people to do. Jesus wanted people, wanted us to treat people better than they deserved. Notice he didn't say give to them what they have given to you. Treat them how you want to be treated. So when you have these enemies who, uh, who assume that they know you and that they have you in the grasp of their hands, they don't know who God is. So you have to show them who God is. David was one who was not afraid because, again, you go all the way back to the fact of David as he was a little shepherd boy. And as he went to go and rescue his lions, uh, his lambs, and even as he stands before Goliath and he looks at Goliath and says to him, who is this person that is bad mouthing my God? Let me go get at him. Let me go and fight him. And he wins the victory. Do you notice that's that same David as he continued to win battles and continued to go on and on serving his Saul as much as he was able to do. It was only because God was there for him. It was only because of the fact that God was the provider. Friends, when you leave God, you have no power of your own. Try to live without being connected to a power source. You know, I'm recording this sermon right now on my phone. But guess what? If I never charge this phone up. If, if, I, if I let the battery go completely down, how useful is this phone? It won't be useful. The same thing is about a life that refuses to acknowledge God. If you're not connected to the source, it's going to be hard for you to power your life. You may think you're doing it on your own accord, but guess what? It's all because of God. 
There are many people said the alarm woke me up this morning. Now, the alarm can go off all it wants to. If God says stay still, you still. Because he has all power. The alarm doesn't wake you up. It's God Almighty who continues to allow us to be up. Now, I want to speak more about the enemies. There are sometimes that our enemies may be the people who are right next to you. Now, don't side eye your mate too much. Don't look crazy too much. Because the fact that these things do happen sometimes. That sometimes the people we love can be the people who hurt us the most. And I bring it up about looking at David. Because when you drop down and you read 2 Samuel chapter 13, you see as he's loving his son. And you see as his son had good intentions of protecting his of, of his, his son had good intentions of protecting his daughter's interests, but he still commits murder. As the king, David, was supposed to do something about that. But he lets his son go instead of giving him the proper punishment that was due. And now look what happened. He made an enemy out of his own child. Well, Brother Ford, what are you saying? I'm saying that we have to do the best that we can to go ahead when it comes to those who are our enemies that we make of our own. Sometimes it could be of, of our spouses, our children, our friends, our family members, but we still have to always remember, you, Christian, have to live the way God said to. Vengeance is mine, thus will I repay, said the Lord. Romans chapter 14, not man. It is not left up for us to go out there and try to strike somebody down or do somebody harm. Let God take care of them. You know, when you read the 73rd Psalm, Asaph is wondering in his mind, how are my enemies doing so much? How are they getting so much gain? How are they prospering, Lord? But did you know what Asaph comes to realize? That these people are not prospering. That they are just the walking dead. They're walking dead because they have blasphemed God's name and they don't have anything to do with God because they are an enemy of God and they refuse to not be an enemy of God. But God will show them. I want you to notice these last words as we look at it when it comes to dealing with enemies. The psalm that is adjacent or just the opposite of Psalm 73 is Psalm 37. And it's a very familiar verse with many, with many of us. David himself again, who finds himself in the midst of those who are trying to do him harm. I want you to notice the first few words of Psalm 37. The very first verse says... Fret not thyself of evildoers, neither be envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so thou shalt dwell in the land verily, thou shalt be fed. Notice again what he says. Don't fret over these people who are doing evil, these wicked people. Notice in verse number 20, he says, but the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall, the smoke shall they consume away. I'm sorry. Notice what he's saying. Don't fret yourself about the enemies. Continue to trust in God because it is God who is always going to be there. You may have many adversaries. You know, you may become your own enemy. You may have to get out of your own way and it may have to buffet your own body and get yourself back together. But God is always going to be there. God has said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. And it's those same words that David knew, even though he had many enemies, even though he had those coming from left and right, he was able to say this. Psalm 37 and verse number 25, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. Beautiful words of a man to be able to say 
when his own son is trying to kill him, when the people have turned against him, when they assume that God is done with him, that he can say those words about God. Because enemies come, adversity comes, but what do you do in those times of adversity? Now I want you to notice the confidence that David had. Psalm, going back to the third Psalm, Psalm 3 and verse number 3. Notice the confidence that he is he, that he's going to show in his God. You know, there's nothing more refreshing to, than knowing that you are a child of God. You know, it is the greatest thing, the greatest achievement that you can have is giving your life to God, obeying that gospel and being and knowing that when you pass from this earth, you can have heaven as your home. There is nothing better than that. You may say, well, Brother Ford, I got a I got a vacation spot that looked like this. Brother Ford, I got money. I got this and that. But those things do not matter in the grand, the grand scheme of things. I'm not saying you can't have that stuff, but it ain't better than heaven. It ain't better than knowing that you have laid hold upon heaven. These things that we enjoy in this life, they're beautiful and they're good. And they're for your enjoyment. But don't let it take you away from God. That's a free for nothing. But I want you to notice the confidence that David shows. Looking at verse number three, he says, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Salah. He says that God is a shield. You know what a shield do, right? A shield, once what's ever behind that shield, it protects the person. If he said that God is my shield, that means God got your front, back, your side to side. That means that where any direction that the attacks come from, God is going to be there to take that and to make sure that it causes you no harm. But people who go out to battle in, in this time, they would have spears and shields. Guess what? Somebody shoots an arrow, it deflects it. David knew this oh so well. It is that same David who writes in 2 Samuel chapter 22 when he says that God is my shield. He's my high tower. He's my refuge. He's my stronghold. Thou savest me when I'm in trouble. And then he makes that beautiful statement. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Who was his confidence in? Who was his hope and trust in? It was in God Almighty. You know, we can learn a lot from David with that because knowing the God who we serve and knowing what he, he can do, he is a protector of his people. He protects his children. Who of us would not protect? If their child was going through something, if something was going to, it was about to endanger them, what would you do? You're going to jump in the way and try to take that attack for your child, right? Because you love your child, because you care for that child. You're going to try to do what you can to protect that innocent of that child. That innocent little child, you want to protect them. That's how God views his people. And so he says again, thou art my shield. You are my protector. You are my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I can be confident because of you, God. You know what? Sometimes people think that everything has to be going 100% right in your life for you to have confidence in God. No, it can be going 90% wrong, but you can still be confident in God. There's nowhere when you signed up to be a Christian in your new Christian orientation class where it said that everything was going to be roses. But you know what? You can be confident. But confidence only comes if you get to know God. If you don't know God, it's obvious why some people don't have confidence in God because they've not taken the time to learn who God is. 
But that's not the case with David. David was able to say, me, little old David, who was shepherd boy, and now I am king. Me, who has rescued my animals, has fought Goliath, has won numerous of battles. I can say without a doubt that I have the utmost confidence in God because of what he's done for me. And not again, what he has done in the past, but what he will do in the future if I continue to be faithful. You know, we have confidence in ourselves. Sometimes we may have too much confidence in ourselves. We may think we can do everything, you know, and say that we don't need anybody. But I'm reminded of what the scriptures teach us in Proverbs. Proverbs 14 and verse number 12. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of those ways are death. You know what? He meant this so much. The, the, proverb, the proverb writer meant this so much. He turns around and says it again in Proverbs 16 and verse number 25. That there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end of those ways is death. But when it comes to being confident in God and confident about what God has done for you or even being confident about salvation, you can be very confident if you have done things the correct way. You've heard me say it multiple times. If somebody asks you, are you going to heaven? If you got to say, man, I sure hope so, man, if the sun shines right, if I hold my mouth the right way, if I keep praying this way or if God somehow let me in. If that's your definition, when somebody says, are you going to heaven? If you got to give this whole circular answer, something is wrong and it lets me know your confidence is lacking. But that wasn't David. David knew who God was. He said, he's the one who lifts up my head. He's my shield. He says, I cried unto the Lord, cried out. I proclaimed from my mouth that I need help. You know, that's what prayer does. When we pray, we, we, that's what prayer does. That's your connection with God. That lets us know that, God, my confidence is in you. And I know that it's only you who can make the situation better. Prayer lets me know or lets God know that I can't do this on my own, Lord. I need you. That's what I pray for. That's why I pray because I know that it is only through his, through him that I'm able to be found right and that I'm able to have confidence. And so he says, I cried out. I cried out and I heard and he heard me from his holy temple or his holy hill. You know what? It's the case that when it comes to us as, as children of God, we need to utilize that tool of prayer every day we need to pray every day not just one time a day not just when you eat not just for when you just first get up have a prayer life a life that is submerged in prayer not only when things are going bad but also when things are going good when you go and read the 124th psalm david just strictly prays to god he doesn't ask god for anything he prays and just said thank you thank you Thank you. That should be the same mindset of us as Christians. The confidence that we have in God should be enough to make us be so thankful and make us to be the uh, make us to know who God is and what God has done. And again, what he will continue to do. So, again, when there are enemies that come out, when there are many adversaries, you can be confident in the fact that God is going to be there. But again, it's always conditional. We have to make sure that we're right with God. There are some people who say, I'm going to get myself right and then I'm going to come back to church. That's not how it works. That lets me know that something is lacking in the confidence of God and in their self at that moment. Broke my heart not too long ago. I spoke with a brother who's recently divorced his wife and he decided, he said, I'm going to take a break from the church. I said, take a break from the church. 
Like, how, how does that work? You taking 15 minutes? You taking an hour? How, how does that work? And he said, well, you know what? I just don't want to talk about it. I'm just in a position where I want to do what I want to do for a moment. That lets me know that that man has no confidence in God like he used to. You may say, well, brother, brother Ford, maybe, you know, you let him go and you let him go. You know, that's all we can do. I know who I believed in and continue to believe in. And there's nothing on this world that will make me change that. It's because of confidence that we can have courage. It's me roundabout. It, it, it takes a strong man to be on the run and then to know that somebody's coming to take your life and to say, you know, I can just go ahead and go to sleep. If somebody told me they was coming to kill me and they wouldn't rest until they find me and kill me, man, you better believe I'm going to be drinking coffee. I'm going to be on no dose or whatever I got to do to stay awoke because I, I want to protect my life. But he was he had the confidence in God and is bold enough and to be courageous enough to say, even though they're after me, I can still rest because you're with me, Lord. Man, putting the, the, the accountability of God and show you how much God cares about his creation so much. Even while all this is going on, you can still rest. You know, there are sometimes people get mad because we, we tell the truth about things. Because we tell the truth from the Bible. And they say, well, y'all, you know what, y'all folks just missing it. And then guess what? They gather a certain amount of people against you. And then they'll say, well, because we all believe something and you and you say something, you got to be wrong. Well, you know what? The Bible is always right. And if you want to be right, you continue saying what the Bible says. You have to be courageous in this time of cowardly people. We have to continue to be courageous because there are so many people who will be cowards and who will run and who will run without being confident in God and have no idea what they're doing. But I love the way that David does it. David says, I laid me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustained me. This man said I was able to sleep and get not not just an hour. I was able to get good rest. Even though these people were against me, the, the book of Isaiah, I love the verse. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah chapter 40. David continued to wait on God. He continued to be confident in God. And it shows through him being courageous that he's able to even take it a step further of resting in this time of distress. Again, it's not like us as people when things are going wrong for us to rest. How many times you went to bed stressed and got good sleep? How many times you've been so, I'm talking about, I'm talking about stress, I'm talking about wiry, your, hand, you can't, your hands just jittery, your leg won't stop, your hair falling out, you about bald like me, and all of a sudden, you can't go to sleep. But this man had a group of people trying to hurt him, but he still was able to overcome the courage that it takes to do that. Notice what he says in verse 6 again, he said, I will not be afraid. You bring 10,000 people. I will not be afraid. I'm still going to stand up. We have to learn these lessons from David like this. Because, again, when people form against us, when people say that you're wrong, when people say that they want to harm you or whatever the case may be, we have to know that, again, as long as we're right with God, that's the only thing that matters. I tell people often, they say, well, Brother Ford, you just want to win an argument. No, it's not about me winning or losing. It's about our souls. At the end of the day, that's what it all boils down to. Are we right with God? Being courageous is something that could be contagious. You know, I will say this. I've been encouraged by my brethren who stand for truth. 
And man, it makes me want to keep going. I've been encouraged by my brethren who stand and they say, you know what? We were not going to do certain things or we're going to teach and tell the truth on certain subjects. No matter what the cost may be, we're going to stand for God. That's how it should be. You mean to tell me when the whole congregation against you? You mean to tell me when the world is against you? You mean to tell me even when that spouse sometimes turned to Job's wife and said, just curse God and die? You mean to tell me you still going to have courage then? You show sure right. Tell that woman, get right, and we're going to go. It's a beautiful thing to be courageous and stand bold for the Lord. We're commanded. We have to show it. We have to break down the walls because God has already given us everything that we need. We simply have to do what he said to do. So again, when the enemy presses in, whether it be somebody inside or outside the body, whether it be somebody inside or outside my home, whether it be friend or family, I can have confidence in God to know that God is always going to give the answer, that God is always the way. I can be courageous about what we're going to do because of the track record of God and what he has done. You've heard me say multiple times about past and present referring to David because David was one who had shown and had tested God and God had proved himself to continue to be true. Even though David sinned, and I made this statement to a brother the other day, it may have been Brother Mayberry I was talking with, I made a statement about Saul and the same statement runs true about David. You know, when Saul sinned in 2 Samuel chapter 1 Samuel chapter 13, God continued to let him be king, but the kingdom was taken away from him. He reigned for a whole 38 more years a total reigning of 40 years. David the same way. When David sinned, David still continued to reign and David was king for a total of 40 years also. So I want you to think about that. In his 40 years, do you think David had learned a lot about God and had seen a lot about how God works and about what God can do? He says in verse number 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone that thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Notice, who did he want to save him? He didn't say, my army, come to me and save me. No, he said, God, save me. That same David who cried out, whose voice is heard, and now God takes action. And friends, when God comes to take action, boy, he's going to come in there and whip it. He's going to come in there and he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Because that's what he does. Because he is God Almighty. I want you to notice the analogy that he used. He says, thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone that thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Breaking the teeth of the ungodly is a phrase that's used to represent power. The, what does the cheekbone do? The cheekbone holds the teeth. If you break the cheekbone, what do the teeth do? The teeth are going to fall out. They're going to scatter. So that's his way of saying my God destroys all the powers that be. Anything that's formed against me, he's going to be the one that shatters it and dismantles it because he is God. Because he is able to do those things. So when it's time for God to take action, he shows up and he shows out. And it's best for you to be on the side of God than to be against God. Because there is no record of nobody saying, you know what, I fought against God and boy, I whipped him good. You will never find it in the Bible. You will never find that one person who said, boy, we fought God and boy, you know, it went the, it went the distance. Man, it don't, it don't even come to a fight. You want to know how I know that? You go back and study the book of 2 Kings. 
and there was 185,000 soldiers who woke up dead. They, can you believe they woke up dead? You know how they, how they woke up dead? Because they thought they were gonna they were gonna so they were gonna seize Jerusalem, and it said that Sennacherib had Hezekiah shut up like a bird in the cage. One angel came down and destroyed 185,000 people. So you mean to tell me that one angel did that? Destroyed 185,000 people. When Christ said he could call a legion of angels, a thousand angels, what do you think a thousand would do? If one did 185,000 people, it lets you know the power of God. And when he's called to action and when he comes out and when he stands up and fights for us, he fights. So it's best to always be on his side when that war comes down. David knew that. David knew whose hand he was in. He knew what he had to do. I'm a firm believer of that's why it's able to be said of David that he was a man after God's own heart because even after he stumbled, he got things right with God because he knew, I'd rather rather ask for forgiveness than have to fight against him. And then the psalmist, David, closes it all up with being able to have assurance in God. Assurance. He says, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessings is upon thy people. Salah. He's able to have that, that assurance and that comfort. You know the difference between insurance and assurance, right? Insurance is in case something happened. Assurance is saying that, hey, you're all good no matter what. You know, insurance, you got to go out and pay your premium. You got to do all this. You know what? Christ already done that for us. So that's, therefore, you get assurance. That's why we can be assured of what God has done and what he will continue to do because of what has happened already. So you may be in good hands with Geico, but your soul is in good places and in good standing with God. If you follow what thus said the Lord. The accountability of when it falls upon God. He's tested. He's tried. He's always been proven to be true. There's no one like God. When the question was asked, the rhetorical question that was asked in Isaiah chapter 46 and verse number five, who will you liken me to? There's nobody like God. There's nobody who's on time like God. There's nobody who there's no better accountability partner that you can find than God. And David knew that. I know this is just a short eight verses, but there's so much you can glean out of this about the characteristics of God. And about what God does and what God can continue to do. But I have to make sure that I'm right with God. Because if I'm not right with God, guess what? When I cry out to him, my, my prayers, they go unanswered. He hears them, but he doesn't honor them if I'm not right with God. If I've not even began the relationship by obeying the gospel of Christ, I need to start there. We were just discussing this morning when we talked about when we talk about faith. Faith is not just a tingly feeling that you have inside. It is something that you must act upon. If you say that you are a child of God, show me through your faith. Show me through your works. So that you can be a part of the fold. Accountability of God and dealing with David. David's not the only one who got good things to say about God. You can go Job. You can go Abraham, Joseph. You can even go New Testament, Paul, Peter. We can name them on and on and on. But the fact of the matter is that God is always good and nothing will ever, will ever change that. The sermon is yours.
as we extend the invitation as we always do this evening on, on the evening I should say on the afternoon it's important for the things that we've just discussed being right with God you don't have to guess you don't have to think you can know 100% sure if you're right with God the Bible tells us in 1st John chapter 5 verse number 13 you can know that you are saved by the things that are written and inside this written word it lets us know how one must obtain salvation not the way that he says but the way that God has said for it to be because I don't have a heaven or hell to put anyone in God's will is for everyone to go to heaven but everyone will not go because they will not submit to the will of God don't be so prideful or don't be so full of your full of of, of, of of assurance in yourself or confidence in yourself that you're gonna make it to heaven without God because again that's his place he decides the rules let me ask you a question you ever try to go to Sam Club and buy something without a membership do, do they do they do they say well you know what I'm gonna let you in this time and and, and well you gonna you can do that no it's, it's not gonna happen It's their rules for their facility Therefore, God has a place that he is prepared and he has set a certain way for us to get there. We cannot get there any other way than the way that he said for us to get there. So he has given us all that we need. The Bible gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1 and verse 3. And so I have to realize that if I'm going to be a child of God, I have to do it according to the way that he says, not the way the world says or the way that I believe that it should be. He made it very simple for us to obey the gospel. It's simple in the fact of what he said to do, but it's the hardest thing for mankind to do sometimes. The Bible says you must hear the word of God according to Romans 10, 17. After hearing that word, one must believe that word according to John 8 and verse 24. After believing, one must repent of their sins, which I believe is one of the hardest things for people to do, to truly repent and be penitent of what they've done, to leave the past and come forward to what God has said to do. A change of mind that leads to a change of action. Don't do a 360. You do a 360, you're staring back at that same sin. You got to do a 180 and walk away from that sin. True repentance that comes from godly sorrow. Then one must confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, according to Matthew 10 and verse 32. And then one must be baptized for the remission of sin, according to Acts 2 and verse 38. Continue to be faithful, even if death was to come, to receive the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. The words of Jesus. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. He says, come, take off the yoke of the world and come to the school of Christ and learn of him where he will teach you. If you want to have true rest, if you want true assurance, if you want truly to be called a child of God, it is first found in you being in the right relationship with God. If you are a child of God and you have not been living the way you should, if you have been doing everything differently than what God has said, you need to come back. Make things right. Don't leave today. You don't know if you go, you're guaranteed to tomorrow to make it out this this building to make it to the new year i know there are some people who said well new year gonna be a new me i repent on january 1 1 you may not make it 
make things right now as we stand and sing the invitational song.